This is Imperfect Discourse, the podcast, a place for conversation, questions, and thought-provoking ideas. Hosted by Isaac and Daniel, two lifelong friends with unique perspectives, life experiences, and captivating dialogue. This is Season 2, Episode 1. Hello, Daniel. Hey, Isaac. How's it going? It is going well. And I just want to take a moment and think back that Season 1 has has come to an end. Um, I think Imperfect Discourse as an idea for a podcast got off on the, I think, the right aim, the right footing, so to say. And I know you and I have had offline conversations about the feedback and the the words of support uh, from from those around us and those on the periphery who've expressed some interesting things. Do you want to kind of shed a little bit of light about what you kind of took away over season one and how that rolled out? And then, uh, then I think we'll announce what season two is going to be about and we'll We'll move forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I was very kind of touched and humbled, um, with the response that we got from season one. I had, uh, multiple people reach out to me and, uh, express their, um, support and their encouragement for what we were doing, which was really, really nice. Um, I had a couple of friends, uh, tell me that, uh, that the, the way in which we were going about having our conversations were, um, they appreciated that they were rooted in kindness and compassion, um, and that we were trying to be nuanced with things, which is really encouraging because I know that that was one of the things that we kind of talked about going into it was that we, we really wanted to have difficult conversations about things in nuanced ways that weren't, um, needlessly antagonistic. So, yeah, I think hopefully, hopefully as we, as we go through season two, that same, I would say like sense of respect and curious, um, mindset, maybe that curiosity really shines through, um, season two. And like you're saying the, the support and, um, kind words felt from people who, um, honestly had no clue what imperfect discourse was. I know we kept it under complete wraps till it, till it probably launched. I know we talked to a few people said, Hey, we're going to do this, but there wasn't, Hey, here's the topic. And as we move into season two, um, we're going to have a conversation about religious structures in Western civilization. Yes, we are. That should be, um, that should be interesting. It's going to be like, uh, tap dancing through a minefield. I think that's that's the best way to put it. And maybe a tap dancing and we have all sorts of rave or some <laughs> some things hanging from us that are dancing around and yeah. maybe we're going to trigger a mind off or something. And before we were starting this, you and I had a, uh, I would say, a kind of brainstorming slash let's, uh, let's kind of go back to what Imperfect Discourse is, some of the maybe guiding principles of what we hopefully accomplished in season one and what we are going to set out to hopefully carry out through season two is we're hoping to explore these religious structures that we observe and see evident in Western civilization. We want to recognize what they are, and then we want to point out or, or make note of the role, the importance and what they, what they, what they provide or the, or their value. Yeah. I think we also want to, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, pointing things out and I, I think what we want to try to do as we're looking at these uh, different religious structures, is to try to be very even-handed in the way that we approach it. I mean, we want to observe the good things uh, about these structures, and we also want to point out some of the downfalls that we see as well, and um, try to do that in a way that is respectful and nuanced and uh, kind, compassionate. Yeah, I think you hit it there. We want to we want to hopefully the same kindness and um respect. Something I know we've talked about is before you can be curious about a topic, you have to have respect and understand the the topic you're about to approach and you know, understand the minefield we're about to go walk into. Yeah, because uh, these, you know, these religious structures depending on where any listeners fall on the spectrum of um of those, those beliefs, it can be, you know, real, real politics and religion are, are, are a couple of those things that, um, that people, you know, you, there's a reason you're supposed to avoid them 
you know, in polite conversation because there's a, there's a lot of emotional, uh, they're very emotionally charged. Yeah. They, they play an, a very important role in our lives, in society, in these structures and fabric that make up, make up the institutions that we honestly take for granted in, in, in the West. Right. And to move forward, I, I was reading a book uh, by a sociologist, Emil Durkheim, and made the observation, and I just wanted to read this small quote out of it from uh, the, a book called The Elementary Forms of a Religious Life. Religion is a unified system of beliefs and practices which unite in one single moral community. When I think about that, you know, the fabric, the, the structures, and, and why the responses, right? Why why we're being so cautiously careful, right? It's like we're, we're trying to go about our walk through this minefield here with honestly scared. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A little bit. V- very nervous about somebody's going to get probably mad at us. Probably. Right. And hopefully they understand we're not coming from a place of, of judgment or trying to point out and go, ha ha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Like, like you like you brought up earlier and we mentioned we're trying to explore, recognize and point out or, or see what's going on there. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that can't be overstated. Um, we obviously realize that there's a, there's going to be a lot of this that is, um, that there's going to be the potential for people to take probably a lot of things that we say, uh, personally, we are in no way trying to demean or minimize or, or anything like that, we are kind of taking the approach that regardless of what system of belief you adhere to, um, and that can span, you know, the range from, you know, uh, Christianity to atheism, um, that there are, there are things about those, uh, religious structures that do, require critique, criticism, and that there are things about them that are positive and that those things should be pointed out as well. And so, yeah, let's go, let's go tap dancing through a minefield. Yeah. And I, you know, I hate to make this cliche and too metaphorical per se, or too, too many analogies of this, this minefield, but I think it works well. And, and that's something, of course, as we go through this conversation is, is it's important to make sure that we understand the terms and what they mean and how they're being used here. Um, because when, you know, you bring up atheism or Christianity, right? Like that, that covers so much. And we've already thrown around the term belief. And I just, I just want to read the, the first three listings from the dictionary of what is a belief to hopefully, hopefully get us on the right foot of like, this is, this is how this term is going to be used in the, in the course of this season. Yeah. I think it's, that's something that we, when we were, uh, we were actually in, in Phoenix talking about, um, kind of wrapping up preparation for, uh, this season. And one of the things that we, I think we were waiting in line at coffee and we were talking about the importance of taking time to establish definitions because that's so much of, of conversations that you have with people. So much of the ways that those wind up going off the rails is because you don't take the time to establish definitions of things that you're talking about. And so oftentimes you'll wind up saying the same thing as somebody's, but saying it differently. And there's this uh, perceived sense of, of um, dissonance because there's uh, maybe terms haven't been defined well. Yeah. It comes across or it seems like there's more of a, it seems like the emotional charged, charged argument or, or, or disposition of the two in a conversation that, unfortunately tends to move negatively is is over a misunderstanding of definitions and probably not even over the topic oftentimes and hopefully we can hopefully we can move to a conversation that i'm sure makes you uncomfortable and i think that's a place where good conversation right good literature good art good good thought comes from a place of a place of growth and uncomfort because there are things that I think you and I will realize as we move through this that we have to recognize and realize in our, our own lives that, oh, we didn't realize that was playing that level of importance in our lives. And hopefully that comes across the 
I guess the the care and attention I were, we're attempting to to put out through this pod uh, this season as we discuss the religious structures in Western civilization. So I mentioned earlier about what is a belief and the the definition. Um, and so I'm, I'm just going to read those. This is uh, from the dictionary, Merriam-Webster. Uh, a state or habit of mind in which trust or confidence is placed in some person or thing, something that is accepted, considered to be true, or held as an opinion, something believed, a conviction of the truth of some statement, reality of some being a phenomenon, especially when based on the examination of evidence. So I think when we, we look at that right definition, and I think it's important to go back to Emil Durkheim's, right? Religion is a unified system of beliefs, right? There, there's that again. So we think about a state or habit of mind in which we trust or confidence is placed in some person or thing. That right there, I think when we think about a structure, right? If you're going to place your belief, your practices, if you're going to unite a, a community around some sort of structure or, or re- quasi-religious thing, right? Like you're, 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 you're coming to it with a sense of trust and confidence because hopefully you understand what you're doing. Right. Yeah. I really think that this, uh, this, um, quote by Durkheim here, unified systems of belief and practices, which unite in one single moral community. Um, you know, it really kind of broadens the idea of what makes up, um, a religious structure, you know, because, I look at that and I go, well, that doesn't seem altogether that different from CrossFit. Um, you know what I mean? So it's like there's a lot of different things in which uh, that that can kind of overlay. And so I think when we're when we're asking this question of like um, like how or, or to what degree are modern uh, people in Western civilization religious. I don't like when we're going to get into this more, but we're not necessarily pointing to traditional religious structures. I think the point that we're trying to make here is that it seems to me that much of this kind of uh, the tendency towards the religious seems to exist in humans, regardless of what their religious affiliation is. Yes. It seems as if right there is a, not even seems, I would say it is, it is evident. And I believe Carl Jung definitely has work on this. Um, I believe we'll kind of reference some of that later down the line. So a little teaser there, it is coming. The book sitting on the table for the podcast is it is a, it is an inherent fabric of man to, to seek out religious structures. And I think if you observe, you know, say through the last 2000 years, right through, through human history, you can see the the positives, right? You can see the negatives of of very formal religious institutions, right? You you think about Europe. If you travel Europe, right, you see the incredible beauty, just the majestic, just awe striking the Catholic cathedrals. I mean, they just stop you dead, and you're like, wow. And then you also have to think about the flip side, right? The the travesties, the the holy wars, the 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 atrocities that have happened as well. And I think when we look at the critique of Judeo-Christianity and the subsets of, I would say, maybe sex or denominations under that umbrella, there are justifiable critiques, right, from the the four horsemen of the new atheists that, that aim at that. And it's like, those don't come from nothing. Right. Yeah, that's something that I think um, gets overlooked and... Um, I don't know when we were uh, going to maybe discuss this, but I'll give a little bit of background uh, for myself because I grew up um, very conservative, evangelical Christian. And so growing up in in environments like that, you're kind of always told that the critiques with which atheists are trying to criticize Christianity with they are unfounded, um, they're moronic, they don't carry any weight. Um, and then, you know, as I got older and, and kind of moved away from, from the church, I had these, these moments of 
trying to understand what they were actually saying and realizing like, oh, I understand where a lot of this is coming from. This is, um, and there are definitely times when uh, it's heavy handed and uh, oftentimes there's straw man arguments and there's, there are the same issues that you'll find in any uh, religious structure. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's, it often gets dismissed as not very uh, intelligent or well thought out, depending on uh, what kind of environment you grew up in. And that's one thing that I think that deserves, um, that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to stop and say, okay, if there are so many people who are, who are leveling these criticisms, is there something to those criticisms? And you shouldn't be afraid um, as a, as a believing person, if, if you truly are, uh, in service of truth, you really shouldn't be afraid of somebody leveling, leveling to critique it, the things that you believe, because either they're wrong, in which case you can make your case as to why that's the case, or if they're right, you should want to know that. Yeah. You point out something profound there. It's, it's understanding the that the criticism does come from something. And I, I've had conversations over the past six months. It definitely in relation to that. I've been, you know, researching and, and reading certain, certain books that I think we'll dive into a little bit later down the road for, for different episodes here, but to, to understand further, right? Because you often hear positions or, or statements made and you're like, well, that gets so, so refined and simplistically shoved out that no matter the, I would say, structure of beliefs, the system or structural belief system can create some way to to handle that argument or critique and make it seem unfound. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like you said, sometimes they're heavy-handed or they're just used as like gotchas or, or straw mans. But there's also times where, you no, know, those critiques need to happen. Um, I was reading a book about the the history of the church, and by that being the Judeo-Christian church in England through, I believe, like the early 300s to about the 1900s. And it was fascinating to watch where different prominent figures would come up in the, I would say, in that timeline, and the things they would want to address or, or change with how the the formal church in England, and it eventually became the church of England, but in England, like looking at the historical development and, and progress or development of it throughout time and seeing how people would point out things and go, hey, this these people might be being mistreated or we should do this. And those generally led to something being improved. And that's, that's nothing small. And it's like, you don't exactly want to set up a structure that seeks out to, to make something worse. That's, that's not the goal of it. And I, I think like you were saying, you know, they're not often unfounded, the, the critiques we see. Right. Um, also, I, I would say that there, there should not be any structures or authorities or governments that are not allowed to be criticized. I think that's full stop. If you, if you don't have the ability to criticize that goes south real quick. And, you know, I think that we've, we've seen that in, um, you know, in other, uh, countries where you, the ability to critique your, your, your government doesn't exist. And, uh, that gets, that gets real squirrely real quick. And so, um, you know, I think that critique is, is necessary. Criticism is necessary. Um, and hopefully, uh, one of the things that we're, we're trying to do is to try to be, um, even handed in the way that we observe those and also, uh, try to be fair in, in pointing out the flip sides of those, you know, because oftentimes uh, organizations and structures, um, they're not all of one thing, you know, and if they're large enough and they span enough time, 
um, they can go through some pretty significant changes. And so, um, yeah, hopefully that comes across. Yeah. The, the, the way that, you know, systems change and adopt through time is, I think definitely plays a massively important role in, I would say thought development in the, I don't want to say the word evolution to misuse that term that people could prescribe to something else, but the, and maybe just progression of, of the course of human history, it, it's overlay through a structural belief system like we're, we're looking at for this, this season. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors that play in and it's, it's always fascinating when you travel or go to, to different parts of the U.S. or to different countries and see the way that societies and civilizations are built around that, you know, that community aspect, right, that we were talking about earlier. And it's, it's interesting to see how the rise of, I would say, these religious structures, and we're, we're going to define the term religious, and I, I want to say that for our listeners in the next episode, we're going to do a, a four-pronged litmus test when we look at what is a religious structure or institution. And in uh, episode two, the, the one that follows this, we're going to we're going to break that down. There's, there's four different, I would say, prongs or parts of the framework. And hopefully that becomes very evident what we mean when we say a religious structure. Yeah, bear with us as we try to develop these... Um these terms and concepts and ideas as we, as we kind of move along. Um, but yeah, so let's, uh, let's jump into, um, this part that you've got. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you a question because we, oh, we were yeah. talking about this over dinner earlier before we, we started recording this evening and we were talking about beliefs and people would say, Oh, well, I don't believe in things, but I, but I have values. And so I was like, well, that's an interesting question. I wonder Daniel's take. Do you think there's a difference between values and beliefs? Let's do this. Can we, um, as we're doing this, um, can you bring up the definition of values so that we can, because uh, we have the definition of beliefs here, but if you can bring up the definition of values, then I am willing to go ahead and fall on my face as I try to explain the, my thoughts on this. Yes. Uh, the definition of value, the regard that something is held to deserve the importance, worth, or usefulness of something. A person's principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment of what is important in life. I would say, given that definition, that your beliefs inform your values. And so I don't know how much they can be separated. So it sounds like you're saying beliefs are the, I would say, the foundation and values are the lived out, I would say, I don't know, the, the lived out role or the lived out? Um, yeah. It seems to me that you can't have values without believing in something. So you have to, you have to start with a belief in something in order to, um, to have that be a, a value of yourself or a value of yours rather. Okay. So the, the value would just be the, um, not lived experience. That's not the, 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 the word I want to use there. Um, it's a little tricky, isn't it? It's a little tricky to try to like, in my mind, I feel like I, I, I understand what I'm trying to say, but as I'm saying it, I realize that it kind of, it kind of falls flat. Like I'm having a hard time distinguishing between the two. Yeah, and before I think we can get there, I can figure out for the differentiation of them or when someone says, oh, no, but I have values. I'm a person of principles. I don't I don't need beliefs. Yeah. And so that almost seems like a non-starter or just an unfully developed idea like we're running into at the moment. Yeah, well, I guess my question would be like, okay, well, like let's say that you say that um, one of my values is, uh, I don't know, let's say – uh, one of my values is, is freedom. Uh, we'll use that. You know, I value freedom. If you don't have a belief rooted in, 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 in why that's important, why that should be the natural state of a human being, I don't know how you hold it as a value. And here's the thing. I can feel like I feel <laughs> I feel the ears of at least a dozen people right now, you know, like piercing into me going like, what, what are you going to say? Are you sure? Like, I'm, I'm really hyper analyzing this. Um, 
but that's kind of, yeah, I'm having a hard time imagining how you can have a value without having a belief that informs that value. Yeah, and I think the uh, the four prong kind of breakdown will will help us get there because that belief has to come from something, mm-hmm. and the value would be the I would say the evidence or the you know the the existential evidence that these beliefs mean something to you, yeah. right? It would be to say as if um, I believe. Eh, I don't want to go there quite yet. I don't want to jump ahead because for me to break down fully on that thought now that I'm sitting here, I would have to, you know. Yeah. We. I don't want this first episode to be so definition heavy that everybody's like, I'll turn off. I've got a dictionary <laughs> like you do. I'm good, right? Yeah. And so fair. something I wanted to talk about, I guess, here is when we we talk about the the importance of our, our personal experiences of, you know, like yourself, like – I grew up uh, exposed to a, you know, conservative, evangelical, Judeo-Christian faith system. Um, But I don't, while while formative, right, I don't think that my exposure or understanding of structural belief systems would would stop there either, right? I think it's maybe without understating the importance those formative years clearly play, I think you also have to recognize through the development of yourself as a person that you set out on your own own path or journey to start developing those. And through that, definitely through this process of, of researching it and writing this season is, I was like, well, I want to learn more about what, you know, the, the atheistic ideas are. I've, I've heard them. I've, I've read some material. What better than to go to read their books? You know, like, what what a novel idea is to is to get to sit down and read something that might make you uncomfortable and challenge beliefs you hold and to go and look at the interpretations of stories and the importance of archetypal narratives that are present in a lot of other uh civilizations and see the similarities and go well that's something there this civilization and this one over here are completely isolated on islands, but they have very similar narrative or archetypal stories. That's interesting. Yeah. um, It is interesting how different societies wind up telling the same stories. And we're talking about very ancient stories, stories that have been around that get retold over and over. Honestly, um, that wind up getting retold like in modern films, like much of the um, like Marvel Avenger um, films are rooted in hero archetypes, uh, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Like these stories resonate um, and they're, they're essentially retellings of, of ancient stories. So it is interesting how you can look at that and you can say, okay, well, how is it that these stories keep resonating with people um, regardless of whether that's now or thousands of years ago? Like that's, to me, that's worthy of stopping and saying like, oh, okay, something's going on here. Something deserves, something deserves attention if this is happening. Um, but to kind of build off of what you were saying, um, I also grew up in a very um, evangelical um, religious system. Uh, but before that, uh, in, you know, from the time that I was probably probably four or five until the time that I was about 14. Um, I grew up in, uh, what essentially was a Christian cult. Um, I, I wouldn't categorize it as a, a normal branch of, uh, evangelical Christianity just because it's, it was so, um, it was so far in one direction. It oh was, yeah. It was very extreme. I, I remember you and I've talked a lot about this. Um, and I remember there's a book called Educated, and I'm mm-hmm. blanking on the author's name right now. I cannot remember her name. Uh, Tara Westover. That's it. it. I was flying at the airport recently, and it's back out as a bestseller. And I was like, that book's – I was like 2017 or 2018 published it. And I was like, that, what, what what's going on here? I was like, that's interesting. But yeah. no books get published in the last years? I was just like, how are these back – anyways, which it's a very fascinating story. Yeah. And to get back on the serious note, like you're talking about, like I remember you talking about that and like seeing a lot of – 
seen a lot of, I don't want to go too far, but maybe your story was not, not her story is your story. That's exactly what happened. But yeah, I, um, I read that book. That book was her, her experience, uh, was so similar to mine. Um, to the point of being, it was, it was, it was a really emotional experience to, to, to read that book because I remember there was a point at which I was, I was actually listening to it and I was, uh, I was actually in my truck and there was this one part where, uh, she was talking about something that her dad said or did that, um, that I, like, I had a physical response to it. Like I wound up like yelling at my, at my dashboard because I was just like, it was so relatable to, to the experiences that I had. And it was, so yeah, so that's a really good, um, point of reference. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a place where, um, faith healing was practiced. Nobody went to, to doctors, um, very strange, uh, religious practices. Um, I'm sure most people would recognize the, the, the look, um, if you saw sure. people, you know, out, you know, long denim skirts, long hair, um, no jewelry, no makeup, um, all of the, all of that. So, um, that was, that was my experience as a kid growing up. I wasn't aware that there was really, um, my world was very small, I guess, uh, until I was about 14, 15, my parents, uh, left that. And then we were kind of unaffiliated for, for years. And then I wound up, um, going, uh, to a Baptist church, which to me seemed really, really, uh, progressive and, uh, and modern. Um, which is funny because as looking back now, I'm like, it was, it was a really, really conservative Baptist church. As a matter of fact, that's where I think where we met. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where our paths crossed and my, my parents can go in there. And so, I mean, that's, you know, what you do when you're a kid and your parents drag you there. So you're there. And I think it's fascinating, you know, you, you think back and you you look back at the the things you're exposed to and the the ways in which you view the world due to due to influences. And um there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow and it breaks down like system one and two thinking. Great book. If you just wanna just a mind bender, great book. Um and it you know, it kind of talks about the importance that there's there's subconscious system on things that just fire and go on, and they just occur, and that can be attributed to like uh, there was a term a few years ago called biases, and it was generally used to be negatively that the things you saw were for some sort of negative. But I I would challenge someone who holds that view to 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 read that book and see where they go. I it was it was worthwhile. And you think about the ways which your mind is formed and the things you're exposed to through childhood and, and your young adult years. And like you're saying, right, you hit this time period around your 20s where, you know, you've you've left home. You're out in the world and you're given this worldview and this, this let's say, sh- these set of ideas. You go, oh, this is what this group or my parents believe I interpret that to be, I should believe those. And then you find yourself, you know, proverbially or metaphorically, a man without a country, right? And like we talked about earlier, right? Uh, like the a single moral, commu- moral community. All of a sudden, you find yourself without one. And I think that's an important place here. Is I, I kind of want to talk about the that community aspect and its important importance of of religious structures, religious structures, because what the printing press did for the masses, right? And talk about recognizing what formal institutions did of, you know, a couple hundred years ago, bringing, you know, the printing press so everybody could read that we just take for granted. Uh, you know, we scroll our smartphones all day. We read a lot more than anybody's ever read, but it's on our phones and it's, you know, not a paper book. And, to think about what the internet, the role that played and plays now with the ability, right, for you and I to sit in a room, record a podcast, and it go out to everybody before, you know, maybe it had to go in a newspaper, we had a conversation or, or a book, you know, 
now now we look at what the internet and technology has done for that community aspect and to one to think we're ever going back no we're not going back I, I really like my smartphone and I really like being able to read those are those are pretty nice and the internet's amazing and so when I think about this idea of this community aspect and I would say the the rise of these religious structures I kind of want to move forward and just kind of break down when we say religious structures we're going to hit on these very high level and we're going to break down these and some of their I would say flip sides in in the coming uh episodes here so I think that the primary one that we've alluded to some of the our childhood upbringing and uh, viewpoints is what would be considered institutional and when I when I say that I mean like formal formal religion so you know think Catholicism think Judeo-Christianity uh Protestants um that's what that's meant by and just to just to kind of iterate where this sits in culture um i'm going to reference a uh, in 2021 gallup conducted a poll and about three-fourths of americans said they identified with a specific religious faith that's by far the largest population so three-fourths uh break this down 69 percent as christian nice including 35 percent protestant 22 percent catholic and 12% other Christian identified or simply as Christian. Very, very broad generic. And then 7% non-Christian religion, including Jewish, Muslim, or Buddhist. And that breaks down 2% Jewish, 1% Muslim, 1% Buddhist. We're not going to spend a lot of time on on the, I would say, less common statistically uh, significant, while very important and plays an incredible role. I don't want to understate that we're overshadowing just the importance the largest statistical numbers we're going to kind of spend some more time looking at here. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with a, a Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist background. So I, I, I also just don't have a ton of um, experience to draw from with that. So um, it's by no means a, an indication of, of value or worth. It's, it's simply the, the reality of, I, you know, didn't grow up in that so yeah it's hard to it's hard to know what you don't know right you can go out and read and and you can of course meet people and exchange ideas and grow friendships and always encourage that that is the best if you want to learn something right read a book that's great you know listen to interviews those are also great go make friends right and you know the last two years right you know not to not to go off the rails here but i think we really learned the importance of face-to-face community conversations right thank god for the internet that it provided an aspect of something but as as we as we move through 2020, we're really seeing the ever importance at every thread for people wanting to to commune, right? Be around be around people. Agreed. And just to wrap up the rest of that study, and then 21% said they had no religious preference, and 3% didn't even answer. So, you know, we got 69% of some sort of Christian, nice. 7% no Christian religion or non-Christian, and then 21% have no religious preference. So you know, out of three-fourths out of Americans, you know, that's, you know, it 75% of some sort of specific religious faith, which is fascinating given the, I don't know, this idea that it's not there. And I know there's some, I've talked to some some uh, well-educated, well, I would say established uh, members of the uh, Protestant community, Christian community, who like, there is books and literature and research on the actual numbers. And so this is a study. This is Gallup. I understand studies have their nuances, but this, this is, this is what I'll be referencing for this. I'll not break down. Right. Right. Um, I think that's important to, to understand, but um, you know, it's, it's not particularly um, surprising to me because so much of this, um, I don't know. I, I did wind up running into an interesting dilemma a few years back where I was kind of in the midst of, um, of my, uh, it's kind of peak, uh, anti-church, uh, position that I was, I was really kind of stewing in. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into to more of that, but, uh, I, I had this really interesting dilemma where I wasn't exactly sure what to like categorize myself as. Because there were aspects of of my upbringing that, um, while I didn't necessarily agree with them, 
they were still such a uh, like normal part. Like it was something that was nostalgic for me, you know. Um, so like there were times where it's like if I'm in a church, even though I may have a list, like a laundry list of things that I can complain about from uh, modern Christian music to the way that worship services are, are structured or, or whatever it might be. Sure. Um, but there would also be like a sense of like, oh, yeah, this is where I come, this is where I came from. You know what I mean? So like, there's this feeling of like, uh, regardless of how much you may disagree with it, if it feels somewhat like home. Um, and so I, I, I was in this weird place where I'm like, well, how do I identify myself? And I was like, I came up with, um, I felt like I was, uh, the best way to describe it would be like, a like ag- an agnostic Christian. Sure. And I, I would love to, let's, we'll dive into that when we, we kind of look at the, the, the more formal institutional religions and we spend some, some dedicated time over an episode to, to look at that, look at some of the critiques, the, the different areas where there could be some improvement in, I think that would, that would be worthwhile to, to look at. And just something I always find interesting is it seems like we're always drawn back to like our, our, our tradition, our heritage, or, you know, we're going to, we're going to go back to the homeland and, and see where we come from. It's just always interesting how, even though we can recognize the, maybe the areas that should be improved and just the, the parts that are just, just unideal, we go, well, I still want to go back and see it. And I don't know, I'm not a psychologist, but that's, that's interesting. And I'm sure there's some great research that maybe somebody can suggest a, a great book for me to read. If they, they listen to this, I always love to read, but let's, uh, let's move along. And I want to talk about another, another one of these, which is the intuitional belief systems. And this would be like the, the more informal. And what I mean by that is think, uh, think the rise of or the the prominence that we've seen in like the mindfulness uh, or or the the yoga movement or astrology. Um, that's that's what I mean by informal or it could be like energy work or crystals. That's that when I when I mean intuitional, that's that's where that that comes from. Yeah, I think that's a good I think it's a good um, yeah, way of describing it. Once again, I don't think that we're trying to we're not trying to put things into categories or try to shoehorn anything. This is kind of uh, like a, a working, uh, like a way, a, like a working idea of of what we're trying to explain. So we have institutional religions, which is very formal. Think Catholicism, um, uh, Protestantism, uh, Judaism, uh, Islam, and then you have more intuitional, um, which is people who maybe gravitate more towards uh, things that are. Uh, oftentimes people will categorize it this way. They'll say that they're spiritual, but not religious. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good way to, to just kind of look at this interesting study. Uh, a Pew, a Pew study did a study and they found that uh, 60% of the religious unaffiliated, uh, which is 27% of the American population believed in at least one new age phenomena, astrology, reincarnation, psychic, spiritual energy, or physical objects. So, Something interesting there, right? We we see a belief in something, right? We go back to the earlier definition, um, confidence in place in a thing or something that is accepted, considered to be true, held as an opinion. Something is believed. Um, just kind of kind of put these there. We're going to spend more time looking at these. And again, like you read it, Daniel, we're not, this is not the definitive. We're going to explain these. We're not even trying that. We're kind of looking at, we've made these observations as they play a prominence in Western civilization as, as religious structures and just some time exploring and looking at them. And I think this is the most, most interesting. And if this doesn't summarize the incredible parts of the Western civilization, yeah, I, like I, like to, this. I like to classify this as the adopted belief systems. And I kind of, kind of define this as it's to become part of an already established community and this should be a non-institutional, that very formal, intuitional, that very kind of spiritual but not religious type idea. And the individual adopts the values and practices already existing in a subculture. And you're going, okay, what doesn't that happen with all of them? Yes, it technically does. But I would say these show up most, like you mentioned earlier, right? Think CrossFit. Think, um, think with sports, right? Think, you know, the NFL. Think... 
uh, baseball season is going right now, you think about the maybe the locality that the maybe divine or the thing atop the religious structure sits. Is it is it sit within the the physical earth or does it sit apart from something I can tangibly touch? And maybe maybe that'll help kind of get us on that. But when I think of adopted belief systems, I think some of these are are fascinating. You think about I mentioned earlier when you when you go travel and see different cultures and we talk about that community aspect. If you go to let's you know, you go to any older old town that's two hundred years older, thousands of years to go to Europe, the the city, right, the I would say the more historic and beautifully architecturally interesting part of the city, at the center is a city square of people gathered and you have some sort of religious either cathedral, temple, whatever it is that sits there. And when you think about where we are in the West, right, you go, oh, well, those are beautiful sports stadiums, right? Yeah. And I think to to hopefully refocus on this, we're not saying there's something inherently bad with a building. No. Right? And hopefully that comes across or if the religious structure that aligns your life and is useful and practical in your life does something with a a way that structures your life that is meaningful. We're not saying this is no this is not a moral judgment. We're not we're not sitting here going believe our way or else. This is not the purpose. The Yeah, also, I mean, just to be completely clear here, we are speaking as to ridiculously involved fanatical um, sports fans. Um, so it, this is by no means like a, a moral judgment on, on any of, of that. It's, um, it's something that we recognize. And uh, I, I want to say even in season one, we had an episode where we were talking about, I mean, we, we specifically said, like, I think that people underplay the value that sports and sports teams have, um, in society. Yes. It's as if, right. They, they've become the. You know, to go go off the rails a bit here, but they become the the acceptable modern day hero, mm -hmm. right? Because they're very visible. Um, we we've placed them in a place, good or bad. Just we've placed them there where we're gonna let them tell us how to be good citizens, right? How we should carry carry ourselves within the world, how to be moral people, how we should, you know, what we should eat, right? Oh, if I want to be like that person, I'm gonna wear that watch. You're going to start to see those subtleties when we move on to the second episode. Those absolutely matter in either the adopted beliefs, that intuitional, the institutional systems, that community aspect is the the final part of that, that four-pronged test when we look at it as something religious in its structure. Yeah. Well, don't let me uh, derail you there. Go ahead and, and I'm curious about these other ones that you have listed. Yeah. I know you brought up CrossFit earlier. And while I might sound like all I do is read books and write podcasts all day, um, of course, I do like sports. And I mean, I also spent a couple of years very dedicated going to a CrossFit gym. And yes, make fun of me now. Pause. Perfect. We'll move on. <laughs> and it's like that old joke, you know, how do you know an atheist, a vegan, and a CrossFitter? They'll tell you. They'll tell you. Right. And of course, that's a hilarious critique we all joke at. It comes from the truth, of course, because now I'm telling everybody, right? <laughs> I, do have a I do have a question about that, though. Um, when you look back on your experience with that, were there any type of, like, were there, was there moments where you stopped and, and recognized, like, oh, this community is providing um, uh, almost like a religious replacement for, for some of these people? Did you recognize that? I think it became evident in the fact that I compared it to what I experienced growing up and was like, oh, people will come here six days a week. They will spend at least five hours Monday through Friday here. There's in a basically there's a instilled set of values, right? Here we do these things. This is how we act. This is how we carry ourselves. We care about each other. Very good, right? And it, you know, it's talking about fitness, mobility, aiming you in the right direction, eating well. These are all very tangibly good things. And to actually answer your question, I think yes, 
I think what I what I noticed about it was, oh, this does what the, I would say Judeo Christian Western Church per se, says it says it does. This does it better, and in a way, I think it has even it even like replaced it for a lot of I would say, maybe even Christians mm-hmm. in the in the broadest sense here. I think even CrossFit back back in oh, 2017, 2018, I think they even did some media uh, like YouTube videos mm-hmm. that they kind of aimed at this, how it like has kind of become that or it was one of their, their podcasts back back in the day. And it was just interesting to kind of reflect upon that and be like, oh, this this does that thing better. Yeah. And just I want to break that down right there because I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that there are people who are very, very uh, invested in their um, position in uh, the evangelical church who will really take offense to that because they'll they'll take that as they that that a gym is is a, a better replacement for uh, their theology than 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 what they have to offer. And I think what it is that you're saying is that the way that the 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 CrossFit experience and the people who who are there the way that that then carried out into those people's lives and, and in their lived experience that it had a, a more positive impact than than many times what people take away from um, you know reluctantly showing up you know at ten o'clock on Sunday yeah when I say it did the thing better what I mean is it did the the aspect of friendships and community and and people caring for you. And of course, like, like you're saying, people are going to, you know, object. That's fine. What I mean is I have friends that I did CrossFit with and we maintain friends and we no longer go to CrossFit gyms. People that I know I attended church with, I mean, you're the exception. We, we don't talk. Right. And, you know, the same way that those people would show up and help you move or, you know, you would all go hike and hang out on the weekend those are what I mean by they did that part better. They did the, I, they did like the, the life experience, the living together and being involved in, in each other's lives and caring about each other. They did that part really, really well. Yeah. And I just wanted to give you an, uh, an opportunity to, to clarify that. Cause I, I, I knew what, what you meant by that. Um, but, um, yeah, I had that experience too, where, you know, I had a bunch of friends that I thought were, you know, I, I consider them to be my best friends and, um, I didn't realize until after I left the church that that friendship literally ended at the the door of of the the church, which is a really weird thing to to kind of walk away from. Um, but um, but yeah, I think you know you're you're one of the exceptions where um, you know regardless of of uh, I remember <laughs> I remember there was a, a men's Bible study that you and I attended uh, together. And that was one of my favorite things because you and I were the only ones who would play devil at, devil's advocate in there. Um, uh, those are fond memories. Um, but it makes you wonder, like you're saying, right? When when you leave when you leave a place and the the friendship ceases, right? We we've all worked at a place where you know we used to hang out, like oh yeah, let's go to Happy Hour, let's hang out on the come over, we'll watch football together, you know. And you somebody somebody moves on in their career, right? And you're like, oh, we're gonna be friends, and you're like we don't talk anymore. Like there, the, the basis of that friendship was rooted in the identity of us both working at that place. The basis of that friendship was the fact that we both went to that church. Right. And I, and I think maybe what makes our friendship work and something hopefully that shows up here is like the willingness to, to play devil's advocate. And it wasn't as a ha ha got you. It was, well, is somebody going to ask the, uncomfortable question here or are we all just gonna get in line yeah that was something that i uh and again you know not to cast you know too wide a net or paint with too broad a brush stroke because obviously i haven't been in every church that that there is i can only speak from from my experience but one of the things that i that i took away from that was that Bible study started as a group of guys who wanted to um, essentially just work through the Bible and like have discussions about it. And which is kind of funny because the ironic thing is that you and I do that on a daily basis. I, 
I'm terrible about being a daily, but I always catch up. I always catch up in the, like on the weekends, but, um, but you and I still do that. Um, which is, which is kind of funny, but the, the thing that I, I found it, it eventually moved to was it, it moved to this thing where we're going to get together and we're going to reinforce our established beliefs and we're not going to challenge, um, each other on anything. And I think that, you know, I mean, to speak for the both of us, I think that both you and I had this, like this realization of like, that's not sustainable. Well, it's really, how do you maintain a friendship when all you are is a yes man? Exactly. How, how can I care about you if I won't, if I won't question or, you know, call you out on something or like, Hey, what about this? And it's really hard to want to have a friendship or, or see that transcend the identity tied in something when you're like, Oh, those people are just yes, man. And I think, you know, back to the whole CrossFit little conversation a second ago is maybe that was one of the inherent values there was, you know, you're going to get challenged and lay on the floor at the end of a workout probably every time. And that's good, right? That That is a quality here we're, we're striving towards. And, you know, again, like the parts of people getting together, community, trying to, to aim and figure out and go through the thing and, and people being around each other, all great things, you know, like almost what we're talking about as we look through these religious structures and maybe some of the areas of improvement or areas that have downside versus the upside is, you know, it's, it's nuanced subtleties. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm judge and jury and I'm allowed to make judgments on things. I just would like to see that the explorative side as we go, go through this of like religious structures. And I think to start kind of wrapping this up is we all have quasi religious structures and we're going to break down the four parts that make up a religious structure, but we have those belief systems and we live out our lives according to those. And I think the, the, the part here that's very important is either you're consciously aware what those are or you're not and it's either because you don't want to look or you just don't care and both are very scary because to i think to move forward to develop as a person like we talked about right in season one like personal growth you've got to take stock of where you are and what you are and that that takes some humility and that's you know, like I said in CrossFit, that's going to wreck and lay you on the floor. If you've ever done a CrossFit workout, high intensity training, you know what I'm talking about. Like it's going to lay you on the floor. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think that what we're trying to do is point out that, um, as difficult as that might be, you know, I mean, essentially it comes down to this. You've got to pick your hard, right? Um, and that's kind of what we're, what we're alluding to here is, yeah, it is hard to, to take stock of the things that you believe, why you believe them, um, whether or not they're rooted in, in, in valid, um, principles, ideas. Um, yeah, that's hard. Um, but it's also, uh, difficult to not do that. You know, it's kind of the same thing with, uh, you know, uh, going to the gym regularly, eating clean food. That's hard so is heart disease. Like you got to pick your heart. There is no, uh, easy way out in life. And so I think for you and I, one of the things that we've kind of come to is that there, there are ways in which the, the modern human, it, there are ways in which their lives can be more impactful, uh, more successful, more fulfilling, um, and, and more impactful in a positive way for other people. And so I think what we're trying to do is point towards that in, in hopefully these, these ideas, um, they support and they, and they push people to, to think about those things. It's kind of what we try to do in, in season one. It's like, what does it mean to be a good man? I don't know. Let's think about that. You know, what are some of the things that we can take away from that? Um, you know, in this season, we're kind of looking at, well, um, you know, what, what are these religious structures? What, what value do they hold? What, like, what are the, what are the pros? What are the cons? What are the, you know, um, 
and and how do those play into um, uh, making yourself a, a better person? Yeah, we're talking about you know exploring, recognizing, and, and pointing out these religious structures, and to recognize them in yourselves, and you can start to recognize them in society in a whole, and how how they're interacted with. Um, I think uh, that's a good spot to wrap up this first episode. Um, we're going to move on to uh, episode two. We're going to dive into that uh, four-part test I kind of quickly alluded to. And this has been the Imperfect Discourse podcast. Continue as we discuss religious structures in Western civilization. Mm-hmm.